DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up 9 o'clock this morning, we're going to be joined by Norm Chow, former Utah and BYU assistant coach, offensive coordinator, worked for the XFL. They just seized operations. He's going to join us at 9 o'clock. We'll catch up with him. We haven't talked with him since he uh, took the XFL job. Time right now to talk to our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Sprint. Steve joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Make it safe and easy to get what you need online with Sprint. You can visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, Steve, a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, drama. The Rudy Gobert, uh, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell situation with. Uh, uh, Friday in the Athletic, there was uh, and there were quotes from Joe Ingles, who had his name on his quotes, you know, saying it's up to those guys, you know, to work it out. And then there was an unnamed person who said it's uh, it's unsalvageable. And then we saw Rudy over the weekend in Instagram live interview say that they hadn't talked in a while, but now they have, and they both want to win a championship. And so you know, it's even marriages aren't perfect. He pointed out when you hear all this, man. There's a lot of different things to uh, think about if you're a, if you're a coach or a GM. If you try to hop in their chair, what do you come up with? Well, I mean, the first thing I would do was sit down and talk with them. And, and that I don't know, you know, if that's been, a, I don't know what the circumstances are. Both those guys in Utah right now, or are they get back at home. Uh, the story said that Donovan went home to New York for the quarantine, but it wasn't clear. I'm not clear where he is right now yeah. after that 14 I mean, days. I mean, the first thing you've got to do uh, as a coach or a parent or anyone is you've got to go to to the problem and see what the source is or what the circumstances are. And and then once you find out how they feel and what the circumstances are, you know, you, you talk about what has to happen and, and what, what, what have you guys done in terms of trying to work this thing out. And I, I mean, I've read what you've read a little bit, and it's, it's hard to completely understand the details of the whole thing because I think it's kind of a personal thing. But uh, that's the first thing you do. And uh, you, you find out where they're at personally where maybe their feelings have been hurt or where they feel like, uh, you know, things have been said that uh, were inappropriate and inappropriate for teammates, inappropriate for friends. And, you know, they're friends before this. <laughs> you know, I mean, it wasn't like I didn't think that there was a rift between the two of these young men prior to this incident. They seemed to always get along well and be on the same page, uh, all-stars together. So... Yeah, I mean, you've got to sit down and talk to them and find out where the circ- where it lies, and uh, I mean, that's the only thing you can do. I mean, I, it's unfortunate, uh, and I don't have enough inside knowledge to understand the why of this thing. I mean, I understand how it's really a scary thing, the idea that they both had that virus. From what I've been told, they're both doing well, and they're healthy, and uh, they're through it. That's the case with most young people who get it. But uh, there must have been something, you know, I mean, I watched the videos. You guys were there. And I was under the assumption that when Rudy did that rather immature thing, that he had no idea he had the virus. And it was just an immature act uh, on his part. And that when he did, in fact, find out that he had it, he recognized that that was inappropriate. And to my knowledge, I thought he donated a chunk of money and came out and apologized and 
to me, that, it's, that seemed like that'd be good enough. But this may be more than just the virus. Maybe it's other things were said, implied, who knows. But you got to get together and talk it out. Do you think there was any frustration that was born actually on the basketball court? And this might have been somewhat of a tipping point. So the point being, it started before? Well, I, it's really, really hard for me just knowing and watching these two young men who seem to be so positive. There's so much positive energy that comes from the two of them that there might have been something else that was part of this. And, and this was the tipping point because, again, you're, you all are there every day. You're watching it. You're talking to him. Uh, I guess my question for the two of you would be, have you ever seen a time when they didn't get along beyond the normal competitiveness of trying to win games and the disappointment of not playing well? I've just not seen it publicly. And, I'm, again, I'm not around them privately, but uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me, to be honest with you. And uh, so as a coach, that would be the first thing I'd want to get to. And, okay, what's going on here? What's the source of this problem? Is this about the coronavirus or is this about something else? And let's get it fixed and get on the same page because there's the possibility we could get back together here and we want to have everything right if that opportunity comes. So as far as having seen something, I would say no. I think that they are uh, professional. I think that this generation of athlete is very savvy to, you know, when you're at a game, there are cameras everywhere. So you wouldn't see anything because there isn't anything. But if there was something, you still wouldn't see anything. So to the question, did you see anything? No, I didn't. I think okay. that when Rudy in the first 10 games of the year came out and said he needed more shots and you know he uh, set the dunk record a year ago and he needs to be part of the offense, I think that's always a red flag. I think if you're on a church team or a rec team, that's a red flag. I think if you're in the NBA, that's a red flag. And I think that's a red flag everywhere in between in high school and college. When somebody starts yeah. demanding shots, I think everybody else on the other team, even guys who aren't playing, who aren't going to lose any shots, are looking at him like, Really? Well, you got a high opinion of you. I think that's just the nature of the sport. So I think that can be a problem. And it's always struck me as odd, and it's never completely addressed, and it's usually talked around. But it has always struck me as odd that early in games, they run two post-up plays for Rudy. Because I think the odds of those plays, and I don't have the math on them, but it can't be good. It's just the points per possession on that. There's too many turnovers. He doesn't finish shots. He gets fouled. He goes one for two. They only do it early in the game, and it looks to me like it's kind of, okay, we'll run a couple things for you, and if you've got an advantage and can deliver it, we'll keep doing it. But if you don't, then we'll go away from it. And and having watched their games night after night, that's you know what I see. Now, nobody wants to just come out and say, hey, we're trying to pacify one of our star players, but how does it look? That's how it looks to me, and I think that would sit poorly, and I've always associated that with what Rudy said in the first 10 games. So that, well, if, there's a real, if there's a real component to this, as far as I know, that would be it. But there's a lot of interactions behind the scenes, and you know this because you're on teams, how much guys practice together, uh, how much guys uh, are in the weight room together, how much guys travel together. You know, we're not privy to all that stuff. What there is there is the great unknown. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I I did this long enough to know that there were guys that occasionally that uh, felt like, and, and and sometimes it's not just the players, but it's actually assistant coaches or people that are connected. And, you know, these guys are connected. They have their 
workout coaches. They have the assistant coaches that they're probably close to, maybe guys that are over the bigs, you know, all of those kinds of things. And things like that do surface. And, and typically you can talk those things out. And guys are going, listen, I'd like to get more touches. You know, I don't feel like I, I can do this or do that. You know, and, and I, I've watched Rudy play a number of times, and usually he needs angles to the rim, and, and he's not creating shots off a jump shot. I mean, he's got to get to the basket. And if you stay between him and the basket, you gotta, he's got to shoot over you and through you. And uh, those are never usually easy shots. Obviously, he's going to get rebound dunks and those kinds of things. But I've watched him play a lot. I, I, I haven't seen anything created outside of about two or three feet that didn't come from a dump off or come from a direct angle shot. So, uh, and, and he should want to get better. He should want to develop the ability to knock a 17-foot shot down. I mean, these are all things, but those are things you do in the off season. Those aren't things we start experimenting with halfway through the season. You know, you keep working on those things. And uh, But, I mean, I've been in situations as a coach where, you know, a kid wanted again. So, you know, you can sometimes out of timeouts, dead ball situations are great opportunities to run a quick hitter, to run some kind of isolation set, and uh, put the ball in his hands. Well, we, we've all done that as coaches to get guys going, to get their confidence up. But typically you do it for guys that are scorers that are struggling, and rather than have them take the first two or three shots of a game, which are the most difficult, get it in a flow, get it on a dead ball, get it on a timeout, get them where there's an isolation where they can go to their strengths. So it's not like that doesn't take place in teams. That happens all the time. But you're right. Uh, when you have two or three or four different things that start coming up, it, you do tend to think, okay, this might be more than just shots. Maybe it's a personality conflict. Uh, you know, maybe one of them's thinking that, uh, you know, my role needs to change or we're not, a, you know, they, they had some struggles for, for a long while there during the course of the year where they were losing games they shouldn't lose. And, uh, you know, to, to me, most everybody took responsibility for it. Every time I heard an interview, the coaching staff, players, they were all pretty accountable. It wasn't somebody I, – I never really heard pointing fingers or little unsaid things that, man, he's shooting too much. Uh, I, I, I never saw that. I never saw evidence of that. But certainly uh, you do those things all the time to try to get guys going. And, and you know, it, it sounds like when you're trying to keep them happy. Well, sometimes if you can call three or four things for a guy – he, in his mindset, because you don't know who's in his ear, you know, is it his mother? Is it a former coach? Is it his best friend? Is it his agent? Uh, and you, as a coaching staff, you got, you know, you obviously got to get to the bottom of all of that. But it's not uncommon to help a guy get out of a slump or help a guy that maybe feels like he's not as wanted or needed to get him shots. And uh, but a lot of times, I try to do those things out of dead balls, timeouts, so that we knew specifically what's going to happen. And go for it. The beginning of the game is not the time to run isolation guys that aren't scores. <laughs> that, that's, you know, let's get in the flow of the game and make those things happen. So those are my thoughts on that. Hopefully they can uh, both be mature enough to, uh, to work through these things. I wanted to hit you up a little bit on the college situation. Uh, a week or so ago, HBO has Sean Miller. You know, he's not saying I will play, I will pay player X X amount of dollars, but he's talking about it. Obviously, and there's conversation there, and you hear his voice. And you know, the FBI has been involved. We still haven't really sa- seen any sanctions on head coaches. Obviously, some assistant coaches have been in some serious trouble. 
But I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, because of the the talent difference that one individual can make on a ball club in college basketball, I'm wondering if we will ever get to the point or what can be done to get to the point to clean this stuff up. Well, I think we're all being really naive and putting our head in the sand if we think that stuff isn't happening or hasn't been happening for a long time. And, you know, no coach, uh, probably not many administrators want to point fingers to anybody because everybody, not necessarily just, I'm not talking about money in all situations, but everybody has done things inappropriately, made mistakes sometimes, not knowingly do it. So no one's, no one's perfect here. Uh, you're dealing with human beings. You're dealing with parents. Hey, you coaches, high school coaches, there's so many conversations. And one of the big responsibilities of a head coach is to know and have a clear, really clear understanding about here's, you know, you take a test at the beginning of the year, but these are things that have to be talked about in your staff meetings and how you're represented. And, and the indictment of some of these head coaches and, and the, the idea that maybe they were involved in these things, and I've seen a little bit of the stuff. Uh, as, as it relates to it, uh, you, you know what? This this needs to get fixed. And the only really way to get fixed is to, and, and, and again, trying to prove something in a court of law when it's a he said, she said thing. And as good as attorneys are today, you know, they don't have real evidence. It, it's going to be really hard to find an indictment on a head coach who hasn't really said something that was specific to giving money or doing it. But the, the idea that anybody in this world, in Arizona or anybody else, that doesn't think that inappropriate things haven't been going on for a long time has got their head in the sand. Because uh, there, there, there are things going on. And I, I, I was in the business long enough as a, as a junior college coach where I saw lots of things, and, and certainly as a Division One coach. So uh, I, I think the NCAA gets maligned for a lot of things and uh, but at the end of the day you, you do have to have uh, a code of ethics here you you do have to uh, follow up on leads there, ha- there has to be an investigative arm of the NCAA because it, it is an unfair advantage I mean and the, the irony of this is it, it's, it's, the, it's the elite you know elite teams in the country who are doing it to probably stay as competitive as they can but uh, it, it's not like the low bid majors are, are doing this. There's infractions going on at every level. But when we're talking about money and shoe contracts, those, those are the top 20, 25, 30 teams in the country that are dealing with that kind of money. And uh, there, there just needs to be a better way to monitor it. And, uh, and, and certainly, it, we live in a transparent world. And whether it's in Twitter or social media or Facebook or whatever, Everybody is saying and talking and doing things, and uh, it's, it's, it is difficult to kind of figure out where the truth lies. But uh, and I'm not here to point fingers at anybody, but it would be really naive of any of us to think that that's not going on. And I'm not saying it's going on at a huge level. Like if there's 370 you know, schools, you know, to malign 300 and 300 schools that have never really had major infractions other than mistakes with phone calls or, you know, a lot of the things that used to be infractions were making inappropriate calls and doing those kind of things. Most of those things have been wiped off the books and it's, uh, they've made it a lot easier to make contact with guys. But when you're talking about money and you're talking about that, that kind of thing, 
Uh, we're talking about a small percentage of schools, but it still needs to be dealt with, especially when there are many of them are top 30, top 40, top 50 teams in the country. When you hear that Abel Porter is leaving Utah State, a former walk-on who started every game last year, averaged about five and a half points, he's going to Ohio State. And we hear Matt Van Komen is transferring from Utah to St. Mary's. What was your reaction when you heard those? What kind of impact can those guys have at that school, those schools? Man, I, you know what? I, 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 it's not like I watched all of their games, but, uh, I mean, they'll be better in those situations because they've got experience. They'll have an opportunity to play. But uh, it, it wasn't like they were killing it uh, in, in either place that they were at. So maybe, uh, again, it's a connection. It's a family situation. It's a high school situation where there's a coach that they see an upside. Uh, are both of them going to have to sit? Uh, so Abel Porter's a grad transfer. He can play right away. He He's going to be okay. needed because they had a guy transfer that they didn't expect. So I think they'll – I mean, it's Ohio State, so they'll bring in a freshman who who can play and will want to play, but they'll need, you know, kind of the veteran study in hand. I think it's how they view him from what I've read. Yeah. And then there's a – the NCAA's got to decide what's going to happen. They they could be changing the rule here, so Van Komen yeah. might get to play right away. Now he might have to redshirt a year and he could appeal, but if the rule gets changed this summer – then he'd get to play right away. Right. And I and it did seem like that's probably the direction they were going to go before the whole COVID thing hit us. So uh, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, anytime you got a big like that, you, you, you figure there's an upside, you know. But, I, I mean, the thing about it is that uh, they had guys there already. I mean, and uh, you, you know, you're, you're, you gotta, you've got freshmen and sophomores ahead of them that are farther along and – I mean, you can only have so many bigs. I mean, it's nice. To, it's hard to stockpile a bunch of six, eleven, seven foot guys when, in a lot of times, there's only room for one, maybe two. And uh, that didn't surprise me at all, to be honest with you. And I don't think it's really going to impact the program at all. It's probably going to make somebody else better. But they've got they've got bigs that are very capable. And uh, I think it was just a, a situation where you got too many bigs and. Uh, and you're not gonna you're not gonna play three or four bigs. I mean, you're usually gonna play two, and half the time you go small and play one. So I think he kind of saw the handwriting on the wall. I, I don't think that uh, I don't blame. I mean, I, I, I can see where he'd want to do that and go with somewhere where he has a chance to play 20 minutes a game uh, as a sophomore. But I mean, he's got a lot of things he's got to get better at, and 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 the, the way to get better is to play. And I just didn't see him playing in the next year or two there. That. Those things happen all the time, and uh, and I watched him play enough to know that he has a, a ceiling and he can he can impact games, but he wasn't ready to do that as a freshman. Steve, as always, we appreciate it. How taxing would it be? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, hit it. PK. I just wanted I wanted to know how how taxing would it be to be a college coach now you have to recruit players to your program and then when you're they're in your program you have to keep re-recruiting them to stay really really challenging and uh i think that the whole culture of college basketball has changed in that way and especially now now with the new transfer rule and i want assuming it's going to be a one-time thing for a young man or a young woman but at the, the circumstances now is that when you recruit somebody, and you do, you spend a lot of time with those people and with their families and their coaches and everybody that's connected to that young man. 
and uh, and I don't want to say promises are made, but opportunities are talked about a lot in terms of their development and where they're going to go from here and there, and and knowing that once they get there, and we talked we've talked about this a little bit, is you can't underestimate the ability of a guy that maybe was a walk on or maybe has been in the program and, and he makes great strides, and especially for freshmen coming in when the, there's such expectations from the player, the parents, the coaches, everybody connected to that young man. And when they get there and all of a sudden it doesn't look, it doesn't feel like the recruiting trip and all the nice things that they said, you know, now immediately they, they can see the handwriting on the wall. I mean, there's not a young man that doesn't, if they were going to ask themselves honestly, says, wow, I'm going to have a hard time playing here. He, he's better than I thought he was. And you can, you know, you, between summer and the fall and the season, in a year, you can kind of figure out really quickly where I am and where I belong. And, and because of the lack of patience and the kind of the, the whole attitude of I want it now and I want it immediately and I want to have my opportunity, that, you know, that doesn't sound a lot like guys that want to be a part of a team and help something grow. It, it, it is a really legitimate thing that sometimes guys get recruited Number one, coaches make mistakes. Number two, younger players or older players develop quicker, and and all of a guy, all of a sudden there's an odd guy out because he's not quite ready to play in that system, or not quite ready to play because they have so much depth. So it does make sense to me that you allow guys to do it, but I have no way uh, that would have been really difficult to coach in where guys are coming and going and. And I think it's going to be a situation where it's not that big a deal anymore because well, that's fine. He leaves, I'll find another one. If, if there's no transfer, you know, there's no sitting out anymore, the, all of a sudden you take that accountability piece out where they have to really make sure now that, you know, we've got to make the right decision here. But I think we can all understand how these things happen, but it would be challenging. Uh, the, the good news is that you can try to go and find somebody. And if you've got a good program and you've got great facilities and a great fan base, it's much easier to get transfers. And uh, I, I think we've watched this long enough now to know that when you can go ahead and get guys that are juniors or seniors or grad transfers, they are always better than a new freshman coming in and or maybe a freshman or a sophomore that hasn't played much uh, you, you cannot <clears throat> underestimate the value of a young man that's played in 50 or 60 or 80 games and the confidence level that they're going to have and the immediate impact that they can have. So who doesn't want grad transfer? Who doesn't want guys that are you know, juniors, have been in a program and understand what travel's like and, and have dealt with adversity? The, you know, I, I mean, that's going to become a market. I mean, for mid-majors, I started looking the other day. I saw on uh, from the ESPN app, they listed 150 kids that were either going to be ready to play, that had to sit a semester or sit a year. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And I don't know how many kids are in the portal right now or have been, but uh, that's, that's a new dynamic in college basketball is that working that system. And if you are a mid-major or you even a, a, a P5 conference where you're in the bottom half, I'm looking for transfers all the time because that's how I'm going to get better because I can't get the blue-chip guy. But my guy that's played three years at UC Santa Barbara and every 17 a game comes in here as a senior, 
He's every bit as good as that freshman, unless the guy's a pro and a top, you know, he's a lottery pick. But you're going to always take the guy from Santa Barbara if, if you have a chance because it makes you competitive immediately. Well, that depresses me. You didn't have to pick UC Santa Barbara, Steve. I mean, that seems personal, but whatever. All right, Steve, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. All right, man. See you guys. DJ and PK is brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business, telecom, and IT solutions. Backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. Kurt Heelan. On a scale of 1 to 10 in your confidence in the NBA season, coming back and finishing out even regular season or not regular season, but crowning a champion yeah. for this season. 1 through 10, Kurt. 6. Well, I want to be more confident than that. There's a lot of optimism and hope around the league, but look, even if you shrunk this down to just the playoff teams in the NBA, you need thousands of tests to make this work. You can't take those away from the areas of need right now so there has to be enough tests out there that are accurate quick and by the way we've got so many of them we can afford to spend a couple thousand on sports that's the major hurdle and then if they get there then suddenly some of the other logistics as awkward as they are get closer to falling in line catch hans and scotty every day presented by your rocky mountain chevy dealers on 97 5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network dj and pk it's 97 5 and 1280 the zone PK, while I was on social media gauging the reaction to Rudy Gobert's comments on Instagram Live that got put out on other social media platforms, and so I was looking at all the reaction to that, couldn't help but notice there was a selection of the Utah fan base that was pretty excited that the Utes got a verbal commitment from a four-star quarterback in Southern California. Now, before we compare him to Matt Ryan, pause for drop. Nothing? Nothing, yuck? Come on, yuck. Before we compare him to Matt Ryan, the way Jack Tuttle was compared to Matt Ryan. Don't worry about it, yuck. Moments passed. Let it go. Um, I thought that you brought this up on, on TV. There's actually two trends at work here. As opposed to focusing on one 17-year-old, which I think we've all learned now is a risky thing to do because every fan base has done it and it's turned out poorly. So let's look more at trends. It's football. you got to have a lot of players. So there are two trends, and I brought up uh, one trend on TV, the fact that you know, Tuttle was a four-star recruited quarterback, which for the Utes, you know, that's, that's new ground. That's new territory, right? But now they've brought in these two transfers. Uh, uh, Bentley from South Carolina was a four-star recruit. Now that doesn't really matter so much. Now he's had 33 starts playing for an SEC school. you got a body of work. You know, you can suck for three starts, but you can't suck for 33 starts. Nobody gets to 33 starts if they can't play a little bit. So you got that. They bring in Cameron Rising, Cam Rising from Texas, who doesn't have that body of work to fall back on, but he was also a four-star guy. Now they're signing a four-star guy. And if you get enough four-star quarterbacks, I would think eventually you're going to get big-time play out of one of them. And the best year of quarterback play they've ever gotten in the Pac-12 era, they got from Tyler Huntley, and they won 11 games. And they were in the Pac-12 title game. Now, it all went south on the last two games, but that was their best season. And it, I just, there's just no way it was a fluke. They also had their best quarterback play. Now, they also had excellent defense, and we know about all the guys in the defense who are going to the NFL. But you got to have a good quarterback play. All these four-star guys. So that's what I was focused on. But you were focused on another trend about recruiting skill players in Southern California. And I think you fans should be 
equally excited about both trends. Yeah, I think going forward there, you want as many whatever star, you want as many quality players as you can possibly get. And one of the areas that you're going to have to have success in, it just there's no other way around it, and that is getting players from the Southern California area, and really the California area from uh, you know San Diego up past San Francisco, wherever you can find them. Uh, but specifically in the Southern California area, because, you know, it's a football hotbed. We know that. It's the closest football hotbed that we have, because obviously it's closer than Texas and Florida. And you've had success getting kids out of those two states for sure. But to me, and we had Riley Jensen is on many, many times over the years talking about how reputations down there for Utah from a quarterback standpoint or a skill receiver standpoint is, you know, why would you want to go there? It's cold. And, and, and they play it up like it's, you know, 25 degrees in September. Well, we know it's not. But that reputation being that, and all you're going to do is turn around and hand it off to a kid who's going to run for 1,500 yards. And if you win ball games, it's going to be 17 to 14. And do you really want to do that, leave the comforts of home to go up there and be in that situation? And that had been the rep. And so the Tuttle thing you know, didn't really work out. Obviously, it didn't work out at all. So I'm not going to go crazy on this kid here. Uh, he's entering his senior year, and who knows what's going to happen in a couple of years. It, maybe he's all that, and he decommits and goes someplace else. You know, any number of things could happen. But the idea that he's putting on Twitter 100% committed, and he lists the coaches on the staff, Freddie Whittingham being responsible for the lead recruiter, as I understand it. To me, the bigger issue here is have people, have coaches, have uh, fathers who was ever involved, and obviously the player himself, to think that, Utah, University of Utah, is a viable option for me to play big-time football. And the more that permeates the area, the better it is for the Utes because then it's the line of thinking, well, yeah, I'm a big-time player and I want to stay in the West, so I'm going to consider them. As long as you get more, the more folks you get to consider you, the better chance you have to scoop up great players, not just at the quarterback position and not just at the running back and also in the interior lines where they've excelled over the years, running back, interior line, but these skill position guys that I can go there and play big-time football. And I think that's very, very important. It's symbolic more so than an individual player is that, Kids who are top five players will consider coming to your institution. And it's not going to be a situation where, going back years ago, uh, they got uh, Todd Watkins, BYU did. He's a junior college kid, obviously. Well, he went there because he knew that Croton was a mad scientist when it came to throwing the ball and wanted to go deep all the time. So he had that. It was sort of a unique set of circumstances that led him to be there, just like it is with Bentley. Bentley's not coming this year if Tyler Huntley is going into his senior year, right? So you can't really rely on that because it was a unique set of circumstances. Things came together, so you get the kid to come from South Carolina because the position is open. What you need is to have 
it be even. And what I mean by that, there's not a unique set of circumstances. It's just, you're a really good football program. I'm a really good football player. So, yes, I'm going to consider coming to your school. And that's what this kid, uh, what's his name again, Bocelli or something like that, this, this kid who's decided to come, uh, to have him come to your school or commit to your school, I think is bigger than just the individual talent. It's like, I'm a top five player, so of course I'm going to consider the University of Utah. That's the bigger issue for me. It's Peter Costelli. Yeah, and I think you're right about that. I mean, when you look at Bentley, you know, Ludwig was back there coaching at Vanderbilt. So, you know, he remembered Bentley from the recruiting process. Well, that's not going to keep happening. You know, that, that's kind of a one-off. There's a group of players, there's a window of players of guys who are moving through when Andy Ludwig was back there. But that's not something you can build your program on. It, you know, if you hit on it once or twice, good for you. That's positive. Yeah. But you just can't sustain it. Whereas Southern right. California, yeah, the team that of the of the 12-pack 12 schools, whoever recruits the best in Southern California, well, guess where they're going to end up in the standings? At or near the top. You know, that's, yes. that's a pretty simple equation. Um, Oregon did offer Costelli, according to the websites that follow this kind of stuff. You know, USC, UCLA, and Stanford didn't. So take that for what it's worth. LSU and Nebraska offered him. Uh, so now we should also point out it's a verbal commitment. He says he's 100%. So, you know, taking his word now. But um, I don't know. You covered this for a long time, PK. You ever see somebody flip? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it happens all the time, yeah. So. And, and whether he stays true to his commitment, uh, you know, hopefully he does, and hopefully for their sakes he's a really good player, and we'll see. Who knows what's going to happen down the line. Uh, but the thing about it is have success in that area. And it's not about – there's no need to ask Kyle or Morgan or whomever, hey, now that you're doing this and you won the South, are you getting in more doors? That question to me – is obsolete of course you're getting in you you need to get into every door literally every door you need to get in because you're the u of u and you play big time football you have been for uh, the last couple years when they put out that college football poll you're in it this is what we do you know you wouldn't ask we're gonna have norm chow on you wouldn't ask when he was at usc whoa did that success of Reggie Bush help you get into doors? <laughs> no one would ask that question, right? Of course they're of course they're getting they're not going to get everybody, but of course they're getting into doors. That's just the way it is. And that's what you want for your program to where you're not like, "Wow, they got this ex-star player. That's great." No. It is going to be assumed that you're going to get your share of X-Star players. That's when you know you've arrived as a big-time football program. And I see no reason why the Utes can't be at that level, particularly on our side of the country. Getting some kids from Ohio State, or not Ohio State, but I mean the state of Ohio and the state of Michigan, these big-time players that are back there, getting them to come out, and that's a little bit of an eyebrow raiser because that's a long way to go, as it was to get the kids from Florida. I get why that's something that's above and beyond the normal story. But in the West, to get kids from Vegas, to get 
kids from Arizona to get kids from Southern Cal, Northern Cal. This is what you should be able to do because you're a big-time football program, and it should be no longer, wow, man, that's a big surprise. It should, not that it's no news, but it shouldn't be outrageous big news. No, it should be this is what we do. And that, this is an area where these players are out there and down there in Orange County, and they play good football there. So, of course, we're going to be in those doors, and of course, we're going to have success. We're not going to get them all, but of course, we're going to have success. Same thing here locally. Obviously, they do that locally already. Still, some players are leaving. That sort of bothers me, and they got to clean that up. But some kids got stars in their eyes, and they want to leave, and it's just what the way it's going to be. But overall, to me, this is a nice sign that they're down there, and they get a big-time, apparently a big-time quarterback. I never heard of them to the other day, but apparently they get a big-time quarterback who's, yep, I'm coming to Utah, and it's natural that I would want to play for the Utes. Look at the three teams Utah lost to in a, in a banner year, an 11-win year. They lost to USC, Oregon, and Texas. Back to your question of who gets in the doors, nobody asks any of those three programs if they get indoors. Now, Texas gets in the doors, and they make the wrong choices, and they don't capitalize on it, so I get why they lost. But nobody uh, doubts USC's and Oregon's ability to get in the doors of four- and five-star guys. Right, exactly. So if you're going to compete with them and you're going to beat with them, and in your best year, they got you. You didn't get them. So you you got to do more of this. And that's why I thought your point about skill players, because we've been talking about it forever. The passing game's got to get better. Is it the quarterbacks? Is it the receivers? Well, it's both. So how do they improve both those position groups? Now, it might be more one than the other, but – the, you know, it's it's a numbers game, and the more you hit on these four-star guys, it's got to pay off at some point. Yeah, for sure. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We can talk a little bit about that with Norm Chow. He's coming up at 9 o'clock. XFL stories from Norm. Uh, the league has ceased operations. We can talk to him about that as well. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. And now, really? your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Really? But now this putt to break the all-time record at the Masters. There it is. A win for the ages. His father, with that bypass operation six weeks ago, unable to be out on the course today. But he was there vicariously, step for step, with his son. Chevy Strong play of the game. The Wayback Machine from Yach, 1997. Tiger, the first of the 15 major championships. Know that today at 450 and listen to the big show and you can win fabulous prizes. Right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times. This is a partner profile on the Zone Sports Network. 
We're no, joined now by Tony Rasmussen from Mountain America Credit Union. He's the vice president of public relations and financial education. Tony, good morning. Good morning. So, Tony, everything has changed. How has Mountain America changed with everything? Well, we are doing well. We've obviously modified our service delivery to protect both our employees and the communities that we serve. So we're primarily operating through drive-ups where possible. In those situations where that can't be accomplished or where transaction can't be accomplished well, we're also accepting uh, in-person appointments. Tony, one of the things that I saw that really caught my eye is take advantage of financial coaching. What does that mean? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that we're doing here at Mountain America is we are allowing, um, our financial education team has a number of people that are allowing, or giving rather, one-on-one coaching for individuals. So it's things that can help you with planning a budget, uh, looking at your credit score, a number of things. You know, people can be really stressed during this time, and so reaching out to your financial institution can actually be a great way to make sure that you're going to be okay, especially if you're concerned about making a payment, whether it be an auto loan, a credit card, or a mortgage payment, reach out to your financial institution. There may be a variety of options uh, that would be available to you. And at Mountain America, we'd like to extend that a little bit further. As we mentioned, we're offering one-on-one coaching. To sign up for that, you can visit us at macu.com. And then at the very top, there's a coronavirus updates and resources link you can tap on that and it will direct you to how you can actually sign up for some one-on-one coaching so obviously a lot of people are getting squeezed right now uh individuals with uh auto loans or mortgages rent credit cards and then you've got small business people and uh, they got all kinds of issues keeping their business afloat start start with the business owner and then move to the individuals uh how can you help these people who are really feeling the squeeze right now Yeah. So if you're a business member at Mountain America, one of the great things that you can do is reach out. Uh, They have what the government is offering, what they call PPP loans or payroll protection. And uh, it's best if you reach out directly to your financial institution for that. So we'd love to help you with that if you're a business member here at Mountain America. And then if you're a consumer or an individual uh, with that, then there might be a variety of options. And we actually like to work with you one-on-one to make sure that whatever we're going to be doing with you is not only good for you in the short term, but good for you in the long term as well. So it might be deferring a payment, skipping a payment. Um, If you have a mortgage, those can be a little more complex. And so deciding or determining rather which mortgage you have can allow one of our professionals to help you look at some options and pick what's going to be best for you, not only in the short term, as I mentioned, but in the long term as well. Do you find right now that with the environment that we're living in, that this would be a great time to take advantage of Mountain America's uh, services because you might be able to get some deals that maybe you couldn't have gotten before? You know, at Mountain America, we always strive to be a great value uh, to the communities that we serve. But especially right now, we are offering, as we mentioned, uh, we just started the one-on-one coaching uh, several weeks ago. And so that's something that's new. But really, your financial institution, especially if you've got a great relationship with a financial institution, now is a very good time to reach out to see what they can do for you. Absolutely. So now is also the time, whether it's helping with masks or meals, that businesses are stepping forward. How have you tried to uh, be of help? Yeah, so preparedness has long been a concern or a priority for Mountain America. We've had for years um, masks in our supplies, and as we looked at the the uh, mount, our 
excuse me, as we looked at our emergency supplies, we felt like we could actually make a donation there. So a couple of weeks ago, we actually donated about 2,595 masks to the Division of Emergency Management Services. And now we're seeing others in the community also um, reaching out with masks, whether it be cloth masks, a number of businesses are doing that, and a lot of individuals are actually now coming forward and making cloth masks that we can use as we go out into public, as, as the governor has asked. One of the other ways that we've chosen to give back is to uh, make some donation meals to the caregivers in our health care system right now. So this week we're going to be doing that as well. Um, we're going to find some places that we think are, are in need and find a way to bolster the efforts of those health caregivers by donating some meals uh, both in Utah and Idaho this week. Excellent. Uh, I'm sure all those people will appreciate it. Tony, thanks for joining us here for a few minutes this morning. How can people uh, get a hold of Mountain America Credit Union? What's the best way to do that? You know, we always love it when you can visit us online at macu.com. If you want to visit us there, our phone number is also listed there, but it's 1-800-748-4302. And if you're healthy and well, I just suggest that people also consider donating blood as well. The Blood Connections uh, Donation Centers are doing some things to make sure that people stay safe. And uh, right now there is no uh, concern necessarily or reports that respiratory viruses are being transmitted via blood uh, transfusion. And so if you're healthy and well, consider making an appointment donating some blood. He's Tony Rasmussen, Mountain America Credit Union Vice President of Public Relations and Financial Education. Tony, thanks for coming on this morning. Thank you. Have a great morning.